Welcome to Indie Matters, the podcast from the Nevada Independent. I'm your host, Joey Lovato. And my co-host, Jacob Solis, is off reporting at the legislature this week, but he will be back next week, so fret not. The reason that Jacob is off reporting this week is because we are changing the format a little bit of the podcast. Um, So welcome to the new format of Indie Matters. This is the first of a a changed podcast. It's going to be pretty similar, but I'm going to explain a little bit about how this is different. Once a month, we're going to have a big feature piece, and this is going to be our first big feature piece, and it's about clowns in Las Vegas retired clowns and what life is like for them after clowning. And apparently a lot of clowns that retire end up in Las Vegas. So this is the feature piece. The rest of the month, we're still gonna have weekly episodes, but they're gonna be round table discussions with our reporters about what's going on in the news that week. Right now that's gonna heavily feature the legislature, but once the legislature ends this summer, we're gonna have a lot of other pieces as well. And we're not just gonna have legislative coverage during those weekly discussions. We're definitely gonna have other things in that as well. The podcast is also going to be a little shorter. It's going to be 20 minutes, uh, maybe 25. You know, we're going to we're going to play around with the time a little bit, but we're going to bring it a little shorter, at least those those weekly news updates so that you, the listeners, can get that news quickly and hopefully digest it easily. Our feature pieces, the ones that come out once a month, might be a little bit longer. We're still playing around with that as well. But we hope that you enjoy this new format. And if you want to tell us what you think of it, we also have a survey for the podcast. And you can find that in this podcast episode's description or going to our Twitter at the NV Indie. Please take that survey. Tell us what you think of the podcast. Tell us what you think of the new format. This is going to allow us to bring you some much more in-depth and heavily reported stories that hopefully bring you a lot more insight into the state that we live in, the state that I love and that everyone that works at the Indie loves as well. So with that, we're going to hop over to a discussion that Savannah, my co-reporter for this clown story, and I had before jumping into the full story. Enjoy. I wanted to introduce the audience to my reporting partner, freelance reporter Savannah Strott. Savannah, hello. How's it going? Hey, Joey. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Yeah. And so I, I just kind of wanted to introduce everyone because I'm going to be narrating through the story that you're about to hear. But I, I, you know, it's really important to have your voice in here as well. You and me have spent the last, gosh, like 10 weeks working on this story. And, and it was incepted at the beginning of December. And we've been talking about it and we've been reporting for, for you know, a pretty long time on this. So kind of, you know, how important was the story to you? And, and, you know, what did you kind of take away from it before we jump into it? Yeah, for me, it's always interesting to learn about people or communities that I have absolutely no idea about. I would have never thought, you know, that Vegas had such a strong clown community. I mean, it makes sense, especially now that we've done all this reporting on it. It's just always fun to learn about and meeting this community and and seeing how close they are and like how fiercely they help each other out and, you know, depend on each other and also have a lot of fun. I think for me, it's just a really cool community. And it's like, wow, why are there not more communities that are like that? That's what I really loved about this story. Cool. And we talked to a lot of clowns and some of them didn't actually end up making it into this podcast, but they are in your written piece. And so make sure to go check that out on the NevadaIndependent.com. And I'm going to take it from here. But Savannah, it's been a wonderful 10 weeks reporting on the story with you. And I'm sure we'll have you on the podcast more when we you know, partner up again. So thanks. Thanks, Jay. Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey present Merle Evans and his circus concert band. (laughs) 
The clown has been around since the beginning of recorded human history in one form or another. The court jester, the fool, the trickster, or the dumbling. In Native American cultures, there were sacred clown characters like the Hayoka and the Sioux tribe. In early 1900s America, the circus was thriving. One of the biggest attractions was the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus, which dubbed itself the greatest show on earth. The original Ringling show had elephants, tigers, bears, trapeze artists, tightrope walkers, and of course, clowns. Everything in my life led me to be in the circus. I never saw the circus until I joined the circus. Originally, I didn't want to be a clown. Never thought about it. It never entered my mind. I was going to be an actress. It was the 60s, and you did anti-establishment things. When I read that there was a uh, college for clowns, it immediately seemed like a good idea. I'm still a clown. I just don't wear makeup. That was John Weiss, Peggy King, Danny's Payne, and David Carline. All former clowns with the Ringling Traveling Circus. Now they're all retired. So this is where Savannah and I come in. We noticed that there was an awful lot of retired clowns that ended up in Las Vegas. It's a city that has so many performances and shows. So it seems only natural that a lot of clowns would end up here. But when we looked deeper, we found a community that is so tight-knit, kind, and surprisingly vast and diverse. Part 1. Run away with me. Danny's pain wanted to be an actress. She lived in Sacramento and was performing at Fairytale Town, a small amusement park for kids, when after work one day, a woman came up to her and asked if she'd ever considered joining the circus and being a clown, because Danny's had such great facial expressions. I didn't want to be a clown. You know, that was a, a clown? I was going to be the next Cicely Tyson. And for someone who wants to be a dramatic actress, and being told that you'd make a great circus clown, a great clown. Danny's grew up a military brat. She was born in England, and when her family came stateside, kids made fun of her accent. I was extremely shy. It made me go into a shell. Even so, Danny's did eventually decide to give clowning college a shot. And after her audition, she was offered a contract in 1978. I really did want to be on Broadway and mm. be in, uh, the fi in the film industry until opening night. My place for opening was in the ring two, standing on one of the tiger stands. There were uh, three clowns that were on the tiger stand. We all ran out into the dark and took our places. Well, all the lights were out and I'm standing on my stand. I'm looking around and I'm seeing all the trinkets, you know, that the kids were waving in the darkness. It looked like stars up there. And then the light hit our ringmaster. He blew the whistle, the sound came on, and he said that spiel. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. That whole thing, and when the lights came up full blast, the audience stood up and cheered. It was a sold out house. It was at that moment that I decided this is where I want to be. This is who I am to be a clown. And it was the most fun I have ever had in my whole life. Five, four, three, two, one, fire! So jump forward a few years and a young boy named John Weiss in New York also got into clowning. Although he was convinced of his career path from a young age. When I was younger, I was kind of like a class clown with a lot of pun intended. I never knew anything about circus clowns. My family was never into this business. 
And I had, at 12 years old, I realized that I could balance almost anything as long as I could pick it up. A rake on my foot got to my arm. Somehow stuff got to my face. My mother was my biggest fan and she brought me for this audition. And I was so intimidated when I got in the ring with all the professional clowns. I was like, whoa. My character was called Slinky the Disco Clown. We get a phone call that I've been accepted to Ringling Brothers Bottom Clown College. And we're like, oh, my mother and I are so excited. The program was six to eight weeks. And there was 5,000 applicants and selected 60. Once John got his contract, he started traveling around the U.S. by train with the circus. But there was one hiccup. His high school sweetheart, Laura. They were 18, in love, and didn't want to be apart. So she decided to run away with her mother's permission and join the circus with me. And then training to become a showgirl. Them telling her after she auditioned, honey, just go home, learn ballet, jazz, and tap, and modern dance, and then come back and audition again. So she was heartbroken. But all the showgirls there said, Laura, you stay on the road. We want you and John to be together. We'll teach you the major production numbers and teach you the basics of dancing. And you're going to audition again. You'll be fine. That's what she did. Three feet by six feet. That was my room. And we loved every minute of it. That started our circus journey. And the following year, she got a contract. She became a showgirl. John and Laura eventually got married while traveling around the country together. They had a massive circus wedding. The ring bearer was an actual bear, the bridesmaids were elephants, and the couple arrived in a clown car. After John and Laura's wedding in 1988, John became the human cannonball and was shot out of a cannon as an act in the circus. Gaze in amazement as our heroic friend, New York's own jumpin' John Weiss, attempts to survive the ultimate circus challenge. So then I started performing the human cannonball and Laura was a showgirl and I did the cannon act for over 15 years. I always had Laura at the trigger. So it always made me feel more comfortable, you know, knowing that she was there. And I did that for 5,500 times. And then, while on the road, Laura got pregnant, and they became a circus family. Then we had the three kids on the road, and we spent 24-7 with them. We never missed them talking, walking, doing any of the first things that they do as kids. And so it was a blessing for us, and we knew that. And so it became our life, and we loved every minute of it. We were so proud of it. So while the circus has taken our characters all around the country, the train has to stop eventually, right? That's what takes us to our next part. Part two, Circus Town, USA. I would have stayed a lot longer, but you know, in the circus, you're, you, you granted a contract and it's taken away. You're granted a contract, it's taken away. The producers, the owners of the show want to try something new. And the last time that that happened to me, I said, you know, it's time, it's time. So my husband, who I met on Ringling, my husband and I decided to leave, so we did. Everybody we knew, <laughs> All circus people were here in Vegas. We knew that if anything happened, we'd go to Vegas and there's a lot of opportunity for circus people. A lot of circus people are out here. Once a month, many of the retired Ringling people get together at Peggy King's house to meet up and reminisce. Peggy was a clown with Denny's in Ringling, but has befriended many more clowns and circus performers over the years. Some call her the den mother of clowns. Once you're poor in this country, you're poor. 
there are a lot of people that I know that might just need help. People that I know that could need a meal or whatever. So I, I have the advantage of a house. My friend calls it the flop house for clowns. So if somebody's in town, they can't afford a hotel. And it's one of our groups. Hello, I've always got a bedroom and there's always stuff in the fridge. Clown is supposedly the symbol for like the everyman, the common man. You know, we take the hit to kind of symbolize them. So what makes Vegas so attractive to clowns in particular? Some point to Cirque du Soleil, which has the French word for circus in the title. But Ringling involves much more improvisation than the tightly choreographed acrobatic circ shows in some of the Las Vegas resorts. Dave Carlion is a former clown himself, but also an author, actor, and historian of the circus who teaches at universities all around the United States. You know, with Cirque there and variety performance and Circus Circus, it attracted, Las Vegas attracted circus folks, and then they stayed because it was comfortable with each other. That is both natural human tendency and pretty specific, especially to, to circus folks. And here's Danny's again. There's a lot of chances to do your own thing out here. Traditional type circus of performing. Cirque du Soleil is here. It has been here forever, but it's, it's a different kind of a circus. Same tree, but different branch. A lot of the people in Las Vegas, they're open more so to the entertainment field. We feel, really feel welcome here. Las Vegas is New York 100 years ago. There's lots of work for lots of different kinds of performers. And it's a pleasant place to be, to stay. So you get this growing accumulation. There are probably more ex-ringling people there than anywhere except Florida, which is, you know, old tradition and people still retire there. It's where the bookers were, where the agents were, where the managers were, where the work was. And after that was done, it's where you stayed, hoping to get more work. Or because it's your people, it's your tribe, it's your family. I think we all come here and gravitate here, not only because of the weather and because of its location to LA, you know, and all these other places, but I've never come across a huge community like we have here. So while retired clowns say Vegas has embraced them, they can't say the same about society at large. I'm Pennywise, the dancing clown. You are Georgie. So now we know each other. T-Rex? I guess so. I gotta go. Go? Without this. Part three. Killer clowns killed the clown. It's kind of changed a lot. I, I probably got out at a good time. So now if you ask a kid or even an adult what they think of clowns, one of the first things that they might say is that they're afraid of them. Here's Denny's, who originally wanted to be an actor before becoming a clown. Thanks to Hollywood, you know, they put they present clowns as being these evil beings. It's the opposite of what we are. It's the perception that people see, you know, coming from the, the original part of showbiz that I wanted to be in. Peggy, who runs the flop house for clowns after retiring from the circus, got her law degree, and became a mediator. But she wasn't able to bring the cheer of clowning into her new job for long. When I was at family court, they used to bring me in all the time for the clowning for the adoption day when kids from the child welfare system 
get adopted. I'd ride a little bicycle, like a little teeny one, and uh, make balloon animals. And then about seven years ago, they stopped asking me to do that. Okay, so Hollywood helped fuel these negative views of the clown. But did that fear start earlier than that? Here's Dave Carline again, the circus historian. Some of the, the romantic ideas of clowns. There was the sad clown, Pagliacci. Ah, oh, the clown, he must be sad. The trickster clown, that was a big one in the 60s because everybody wanted to defy authority, to speak truth to power. The big one of the 20th century, the clown as the kid's friend. We assume that's simply what clowns are, but that was a 20th century notion that developed. Uh, and then the scary clown. Historically, there was no scary clown before mid-1980s. But those were all writer ideas. It struck a chord in the culture. I'm not sure why it's become a thing that everybody knows. Children have learned by osmosis, it's out there in the air, that clowns are scary. There is no clown working out there who doesn't deal with it. So Peggy told us how it makes her feel to know that public opinion has turned against clowns. When I started Clown College, it was like the thing that everybody wanted to do. And it was like so many people were applying and so few people were accepted. Now it is hated. How, do, how does that make you feel? It is what it is. I mean, you, you hear people talk about it politically. You hear about, you know, what a circus it is and a, a president that was referred to as a clown. But we look at like circus as this entity that, you know, works together. You have this group. We're all towards one common artistic goal. It's what the world should be. When you call it circus, like it's chaotic and not fine-tuned, that's inaccurate because it is fine-tuned because people's lives depend on it. You've got people who are doing death-defying acts and it's amazing to watch. And if it looks chaotic, they've achieved their goal, right? And if a clown looks stupid, they've achieved their goal. Okay, so what does the future of clowning look like then? Ringling actually shut down in 2017, but may be coming back soon without the use of animals, which was a cause of much controversy in the past. It's also unclear whether they'll bring clowns back. Most circus clowns do less makeup or no makeup. They frequently don't call themselves clowns. They're jesters, they're fools. They're, they'll, they'll grab a name from older times, not the word clown. When we talked to Peggy, she told us some stories that she holds very dear about connecting to people as a clown. This kid, the mother said, he's overwhelmed because I remembered him. And in his prayers every night, he would say, God bless Peggy the clown. Because I had connected with him so much. And I was like, wow, that, that was really humbling. While these clowns have faced highs and lows in their careers and in the public's view, one thing that has kept these retired clowns going is community. Vegas has fostered this community that is very tight-knit. And when they're needed, that community shows up. Part four, light in the dark. So we're gonna go one by one here, starting with Danny's, who was actually the second black female clown on Ringling. Bernice Collins was the first African-American woman clown on the blue unit of Ringling. Later on, down through time, I became the first African-American woman clown in a circus in Europe. When Danny's was performing, she faced her fair share of adversity, both for her race and her gender. I felt that there was 
you know, sexism on Ringling. You know, they definitely favored the men clowns. But I never felt the racism coming from other performers because circus, no matter where you are, circus is a melting pot. People come from all over. We had people from Eastern Europe. We had people from South America, people from Africa. Where I came across the problems was when we stepped outside the circus bounds. You know, I've had, I had things happen to me in the Southern part in Jacksonville, for example, I had a gun pulled on me and this was inside the arena. Between shows, I still had my makeup off, you know, and I didn't want to go anywhere. And I had my little lunch in my truck. And I was walking up into the stands and I'm looking around for a place to sit. And I hear this, what are you doing? And this guy, you know, I turned around and there's this local police officer. I guess he was supposed to have been security for the building, was standing there. And he said, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm looking for a good place to eat. He goes, no, you're not. You're here to steal. You're looking for something to steal. And when he said that, he drew his gun out of his uh, holster. And I looked at him and said, no, I'm not, no, I'm not. He cocked the gun. That man, that man was getting ready to shoot me. Luckily, Danny's wasn't shot, but she faced many more stories just like that one. What it did, it was make me stronger. I'm gonna to prove to everyone that I am somebody, that I can do anything. It made me aware, you know, that idiots are still out there no matter what. And eventually, Danny's did get to perform not only as the first black female clown in Europe, but she later changed circuses to a circus called Universe Soul, which was an all black circus. And to stand in the ring and to do a solo and you're looking out and you see people that reflect you, especially because of my our history and what I, Danny's, what I had gone through growing up, you know, the, the racism that I had encountered, recognizing and appreciating what I was doing in the ring that was, the, that, that was my greatest show on earth. That, you know, I really enjoyed doing that. Next, we'll hear from Peggy, the den mother of circus performers. In this story, Peggy had just returned from being on tour in Japan when she was injured during a show in Reno. A few months later, she was diagnosed with breast cancer, and she couldn't get insurance because they considered it a pre-existing condition. Nobody would insure me. It was like having had cancer and I was in my 30s and I was all muscle. Other than the cancer, I was in great shape. And I was untouchable. Everybody on the circus just like, they did fake sales on, on the show and money, like not much money, like five and $10 bills poured in from everywhere. And it was astounding. And kind of like makes you a little embarrassed too that you're in need, but and so many people were there. But I think that's kind of that circus thing. I, money rolled in from there was some amateur clown group that just had had a fundraiser for me. I think they were in Florida at the time. Every time I looked at like the letters and everything, it was embarrassing for me. And then to be in debt, and I felt guilty about it, and then. You know, and I felt guilty about people trying to help me out. So it was, it's kind of humbling. It's its not a bad thing. I think people need to experience that because it is really like we could all be there. And then there's John Weiss and his wife, Laura, and their three kids, the circus family, on the road together. My wife was diagnosed with ovarian cancer in 2013. And... We had to, man, we had to do a whole life change, you know? So 
she had to have immediate surgery and then had to start chemo. And then during that time, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. So you can just imagine our three kids was horrible. You know, you had to deal with that. But life goes on trying to raise kids. You're on the road, you're performing. And I think the industry was a good one for us. I think it helped us. It distracted us from what we were going through. It kept us busy going into 2021. She was hanging in there. She was a fighter, you know, she, she said, kept fighting it, you know, doing what she could to, to, uh, to live. Unfortunately, last year, Laura passed away. So, uh, wow. People, people that go through cancer and caregiving for their loved ones should be commended. And people fighting cancer should be cherished. So what I tell people, document your life, enjoy the little moments, because what's going to happen is you're going to turn around and say, I wish I did. And you don't want to have to do that. So through this process, I think my, you know, we never talked about what if, you know, we never went there. Even though her body was telling her, you can't do this anymore. And she was always positive towards this whole thing. Well, my wife was diagnosed in 2013, and she, she lived almost 10 years because of her will to live, the fight to live, and because of the people she was surrounded with. Anybody in circus that knows anybody that they work together with, if anyone's in need, they all reach out. Just beautiful words of, of what they witnessed of our relationship with our kids and ourselves, and what she meant to them. One girl, one girl said, you know, I was only with Laura for a year, but she taught me how to be a mother. <laughs> when we did the celebration of life for my wife, I have friends that call aunts and uncles in this industry that aren't even related to us. Uncle Al, Uncle Roland, these are people that are big influences on our life that our kids have been calling aunt and uncles forever. It's what you put inside of a relationship. You know, you don't need to be blood related. You know, you need to put the time in, you need to care. And because of that, we have so many extended family members in this industry that would do anything for each other. I would do anything for any of them. And that's the beauty of it. Part five, life after the show. The clown community in Las Vegas is like something I've never seen before. They are a giant family. Many of their members live outside of Vegas, but the majority of them choose to make Nevada home. After they retired, after they went through heartbreak and adversity and sickness, they moved forward. Here's Peggy. There's a problem that needs solving. I mean, that's what you do as a clown. Creative ways to resolve problems is sort of maybe a clowning thing. We asked Dave, the historian, if he thinks he'd be where he is today, if not for clowning. It got me here as a scholar of 19th century politics, performance, culture, and circus. I mean, there were steps along the way, but I don't think it would have happened unless I had been a ringling clown. I never quite thought of it before this, but it, it made it okay for me to go, okay, I'm going to be the one who's going to say the weird thing. I'm going to be the one who's going to do a double take. I'm going to be the one who's 
doing clown stuff. Denise wrote a book after she retired from clowning called Elbows in My Ears. It recounts her time as a clown. I don't really consider myself an author. Yeah, I wrote a book. I feel like I'm, I'm a clown who wrote a book, you know, about her life. I feel like I'm in transition on the road to off the road, but it's always still up here in my mind and still in my heart to, you know, wow, I would love to just one more time, God, just one more time. So where I am right now is where I know Denise would be anyway, you know, in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of everywhere. I miss sitting in the dressing room and just laughing over stupid stuff so much that like soda comes out your nose, you know, and I miss that, that joking around and, and I miss, I miss the connection. We had this shared, the shared experience. And it, it's sort of like a, a proud moment. Ha ha, we did it. Ha ha, we did it. Every group, I believe, has a pride in who they are and who they became. And circus performers, you know, we're, we're no different. You don't need to do that. You can't do that. You know, that's not normal, you know, to hang by your hair 30 feet up in the air or to blast yourself out of a cannon, you know, to wear paint on your face. You know, that's not normal. And that's that tie that we have, what I just mentioned, is what draws us together and makes us a, a close-knit <laughs> community. This story was reported, produced, and edited by me, Joey Lovato, and Savannah Strott, with additional help from Michelle Rendells. If you want to read a written version of this story, there is one on our website, thenevadaindependent.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Indie Matters. If you want to support the show, leave us a rating and review wherever you listen. You can also email us at podcast at thenvindie.com. Our theme song is from Emily Pratt, and we have additional music from Storyblocks, June Pearson, and myself. I also wanted to remind everyone that there is a survey for the podcast. If you want to go take that, you can find it in the podcast description or on our Twitter. Thank you for listening to Indie Matters. I'm your host, Joey Lovato, and my co-host, Jacob Solis, will be back soon, and we'll talk to you next week.